Hey, so this is Timothy. He's coming forward. Would you honor him with a round of applause, please? Yeah, I love this guy. I didn't pray for the first service, but I'm going to pray for the second service. I wasn't going to say anything, but thanks. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I thank you for Timothy. Lord, I thank you for his life. God, I thank you for uh, the way that you are moving in him, the way that you love him. And we thank you for the way that you love through him. God, as he comes to share today, and as he comes, God, to speak your word, I pray, Lord, you give us ears to hear. That, God, you would bless Timothy, that you would anoint him, and that you would bless us and anoint us to hear what he has to say. God, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I'm Timothy. How are y'all doing? Uh, as Steve said, uh, I'm going to try to get this straightened up first. Uh, I work here at the church. Um, if you've got somebody who's 6th grade to 12th grade, those are my folks. So what's up, folks? Um, if you haven't been at Vintage for the past few weeks, we've kind of, as we're approaching Easter, we've been looking at um, this past, at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we've been saying that we see Jesus uh, as a person who was sent on the greatest mission that anyone has ever been sent on. And this is particularly displayed in Easter. We say that God the Father sent him to redeem all people and restore all of creation. And the climax of that was his death, burial, and resurrection, which we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter. But more than that, more than saying, what is it? How did it happen? We've been saying, like, what is the significance of this, like, the greatest event in history for us? Uh, and so we're going to continue that today as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Um, so before we start, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Mr. Kara back there. There's no way I'm just going to stand right here. He asked me to sit in a stool, and I'm like, I'm just not a stool guy. Like, Steve can pull it off. Maybe it's a confidence thing that I don't have. I don't know. But I'm going to be kind of moving around. Um, if it looks like I'm kind of like got something going on, it's because I'm a little sore because I was absolutely destroying it. And on the dance floor last night at Jeff at Laura's wedding with my sister Gracie, who is an absolute monster. Like, she, she is is. It's pretty awesome. So I'm kind of sore from trying to keep up with her. So just give me a little grace in my movement there. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read this passage and, and we'll get into it. Again, it's 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. I'm going to be reading the ESV. It'll be up on the screens. If you want to fire up your Bible app or open your Bible, whatever you want to do is good. Um, so it goes like this. Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So before we actually get into, because that's kind of like a, the first time I read that, I was like, what is he talking about? What does it mean to be like a Jew and all this other stuff? So before we get into that, it's really useful to, to understand where this verse is set in the letter of 1 Corinthians. 
So what we see in the letter of 1 Corinthians is it seems like Paul has been here before. And what we get now is this letter that he's writing to them. It seems like they've kind of been having a, a, a written correspondence for some course of time. I don't know if you've ever done that thing where like somebody writes to you and you write back to them. Um, did anybody in elementary school from like second and third grade, we had pen pal, international pen pals. Anybody ever have that? I wrote to a kid in France and he never wrote me back. So he's a liar. Um, I don't, I mean, it's just what it seems like to me. Um, but so what we see here is, is in this letter, um, Paul seems to be answering some questions. So this little chunk that we just read here actually is in the middle of a section that goes from chapter 8, verse 1 to chapter 11, verse 1. And it all centers on this question, or, or this response to a question, I should say. In, in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning what you wrote about meat sacrificed to idols. Not exactly a question I'm asking currently, but apparently they had it. So what it seems like is... These folks lived in Corinth, which was a city in Greece, and, and they had come out of Greek paganism. They had come out of all different kinds of lifestyles and were trying to follow Jesus. And what happened is they would have these big festivals and uh, celebrations of gods and all this sort of stuff, and they would sacrifice lots of animals to honor the gods. And whatever meat they didn't end up using, they would sell in the market and anyone could buy. And you don't really know where it came from. But most people in Corinth knew that this was happening. So they were like, hey, like, how does this work? If I eat this, am I worshiping a demon or what's the deal? Like, what if somebody invites me and I don't know where the food came from? Is that okay? What if somebody invites me and I, and I do know where the food came from and I don't feel cut? How do I do this? So they have all these questions um, uh, uh, specifically about this. But what Paul does, and I think this is really interesting. He not only answers their question, but in, in this, in the middle of his answer, we get this peak into like who Paul is in the very core of his being, what he sees is most important. Because what he says is, he's like, I'll, I'll answer your question, but you guys are actually kind of missing the point. So because the question they're, they're asking is not, is not, can we eat food sacrificed to idols? It's why can't we? And really it, what, he's, what they're getting at is, hey, we kind of feel like we should be able to do this. These people don't really understand. They don't know as much as we do. They don't realize that it's not as big of a deal. How should we do this? And what Paul is getting at, what Paul is saying in this passage, is that the question isn't really about what you eat or don't eat. The question isn't about this sort of stuff that they're dealing with. The question is, how can you make it as easy as possible for people around you to see, know, love, access, understand Jesus? What, the, the whole point of this section, this chunk of scripture, and this section in particular is, what can we do? What is the person who is, counts themselves on Team Jesus? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to relate to people who are outside of that? And what Paul is saying is, you're asking if you can do or not do stuff. The real thing is, how much can you serve the people around you? How much can you love the people around you? And then he kind of breaks out into this little chunk of text right here where he starts to say, this is what this means for me. This is how deeply this goes. R rather than worrying about this little stuff over here, I want you to imitate this. And, and so we're going to actually look at what he's saying here, what he desires their imitation to, to be. Um, he, he makes this kind of summary statement in the beginning. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. So in the very beginning, Paul is saying, 
I don't even worry about this kind of stuff. I don't worry about what I can and can't do. I worry about what is best for those around me. I worry about what is most beneficial. I worry about what shows most the love of Jesus to people around me. I worry most about what removes obstacles for people to access Jesus' love. And in that way, I've become a servant to everybody all the time so that I might win some. And and he goes on and explains how he became a servant, what it means that he was a servant to all people, what this looks like and how we can do it. But before we get into that, I think it's, this is an important thing. Um, so we're going to talk a lot. So Paul is saying things like gain people, win people, save people. Uh, and if we're not careful, that seems manipulative. Like you may be here this morning and think and, and like not really be sure about the Jesus Bible thing. You might not be sure about the Christian thing. And, and I could very much see how on the surface... This could seem like manipulation. You may have actually been like manipulated by somebody who just wanted you to like check a box so they could feel great about their Christian spirituality. That is absolutely not what Paul is saying here. So you have to look at a few things. See, Paul is saying that he wants to gain someone, and that's very close to winning someone. And those both relate to this term saving someone. And it's really important we understand what that word means, what what save means. It has this concept of like absolute wholeness, the way God intended you to live. It's it's healing, deep, inward, emotional, spiritual healing. It's deliverance from things that would come against you. So what Paul is saying is this is this whole life, this holistic transformation of life that is the best thing I've ever found. And I believe that everyone should at least know about it. And I really believe everyone should be a part of it. So Paul, what Paul says is, I believe I've found the, the best way to get to life at a, at a high level, at the rich, satisfying kind of life that God desires. So I don't want to manipulate anyone. I want to tell someone the greatest, the greatest secret that I've found in my life. And I think Paul is like a lot of us. I think whether you're on like the Jesus team or not, we all kind of realize, okay, we're like, we're right here in our life. And some things might, might be good. Not everything is terrible, but like there's probably somewhere we would like to end up, right? There's this ideal picture in the future of somewhere we want to go. And there's a story we tell ourselves about how to get there. So it could be, I, I want to have certain things, buy certain things, have a certain amount of power and prestige. And I believe that working hard, earning money, getting promotions will get me there. That's a form of the gospel. That's a form of good news about moving to the kind of life you desire to live. We may say voting for this person, this party's public policies being enacted will make life better for everyone. It'll get us to where we want to go. That's a form of a gospel. We may say that personal transformation and health and beauty. So working out, eating right, you know. Buying the clothes, doing the stuff, getting the surgery, that will make me approvable, acceptable, appealing to other people. It'll get me to this life I want to live. So I'd say whether you're whether we're on team Jesus or not, we all have a sort of gospel story we tell ourselves. And we all if we're decent people, we want people around us to believe the story that we believe will get them to the life that we think is rich, satisfying and at the highest level. What Paul says is I have found the ultimate way to do this. I have found what I believe is the true way 
the actual, the most fulfilling, the, the way that gets us not just to the way that we want to live, but the, the way to God, the creator of the universe, the way he wants us to live. And so we have to understand that Paul is not being manipulative. He's being really generous. I mean, how terrible would you have to be to, to think you found something like this and, and keep it to yourself? Like to say, like, I found something awesome and I'm totally not going to share it. Like that's every kid you ever hated on the playground, you know? That's like the kid who's like, I've got the good swing, the one that goes like, up, oh, really, you know, but I'm not sharing. I'm going to stay out here for the entire 35 minutes. And you hated that kid growing up. Like, yeah, I, at least maybe I did. I don't know. Um, I, so like, but if the kid gets off and shares, you're like, you're my best friend now. We're totally going to have a juice box later. Like we appreciate that generosity in people. It's a good thing. And so what we see here is not manipulation. What we see here is not, oh, hey, come believe this thing so I can, like, fill your mind with whatever and get you to be on a team and check this box so I feel great about my Christian spirituality and this responsibility I fulfill. That's not it. It's this deep preference for other people that say, hey, I, I, I just think this is great. I want to share it with you. A guy named C.S. Lewis said it's like a beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. And I like that. Like, I, I, I think that's pretty awesome. And that's what I think we see Paul doing here. So I just want to get that out of the way in, in case that's a, that's a trip up for some people. So, so moving on, Paul says that he came to serve all people. And he goes into a few particular groups here. He says there are Jews and people under the law, those outside the law, and the weak. And, and each of those things have a specific meaning and I think actually means something for us today. So... The Jews and people under the law, this is the first group that he talks about. And this is like Paul's home team. This is like Paul's hometown. These are like Paul, the people that look like Paul, act like Paul, talk like Paul, think like Paul. They grew up with him. They're, they're the same ethnicity. They had they the same religious beliefs. Paul, Paul is a Jew, and he lived under the law. And he said that I go to them, and I become like them. And he said, but I'm not actually under the law. I just kind of act like them. And it's like, so how, how does he do that? What does that actually mean? And we, we, that's not quite as clear as some other stuff. So we kind of got to look at it, do a little digging here. And, and we find the answer in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians um, in chapter 11, verse 24. And it says this. This is what it says in um, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four. He says, uh, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now, on the surface, that means absolutely nothing. But here's what you find out. So Paul, as a Jew, he came out of this religious culture, and he eventually had this encounter with Jesus that changed his life, changed the way he saw everything. And the first thing he did was tell the people in his hometown, those, the Jewish folks here, he said he would go in the synagogue, and it wasn't unusual for somebody to bring teaching to the synagogue, and he'd say, hey, I just want to tell you, all the hope that we've been looking for as Jewish people is in this guy, Jesus, the Messiah. He's our hope. He's our savior. He's our salvation. He's the one we should trust. And for Jews, this was really bad. This was blasphemy. This is, you know, you were saying something about God that is not true. And that's one of the highest offenses you can have in Jewish culture. And in this Jewish collection of laws, what we see is if you committed blasphemy, the, the standard punishment was that you were completely kicked out of the culture, not just like your city, but all people. You kind of had the scarlet letter on you and no one would talk to you, associate with you. You couldn't do business. You couldn't go to temple. You couldn't do any of this stuff. But there's an exception. They say that can happen. Or if you settle in court, 
You can receive 39 lashes and still be a part of society. So what this tells us is that Paul was convicted of this crime five times. And rather than leaving the society, rather than leaving the city, rather than leaving the people, Paul opted to be whipped 39 times. And now this isn't just like the spanking I got when I was a kid, but I feel like there were certain times I made my mom mom mad enough that it was close. Like my mom had a KA pledge paddle. And for those of you who are not again, you're like not about the spanking stuff. You can close your ears right now. Um, I mean, I'm talking about like y'all ever get the ones that make you like your heels come off the floor. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, y'all know. Yeah. So I, I feel like I have a little small taste of this. Um, but what Paul is saying is here is I endured this horrible physical punishment rather than leaving the society. Why? Why did he do that? Because he so deeply loved and cared about his people, the people that were like him, the people that he grew up with, the people that were closest. And he so loved them that he was not willing to lose the opportunity to share the greatest thing he'd ever found in his life with them. He would suffer physically before taking the easy way out and just walking away. He said, I have to keep an avenue for the gospel for my people. Because I love them so much. In in Romans chapter 9, he gives us a little bit more insight into this. When he's talking about how he feels about Jewish people, this is what he says. Uh, Romans chapter 9, he says in in verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For 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 I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to my flesh. So he's saying, I love them so much. I care about them so deeply. I want them so much to trust and believe in Jesus that I would separate myself from Jesus for their sake. He said, I wish I were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jewish people. And he continues and he says, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. And he says, I believe in these people. They don't even know who they are, but I see it. I see what God desires for them. And I'm not willing. I'm willing to go to close to death so that they realize what God has for them. I'm not willing to lose relationships with these people. I'm not willing to be put on the outside. I'll do whatever it takes. He was willing to sacrifice whatever he had to to stay in relationship with these people. So he said, I submitted to this law. I submitted to this law that brought me punishment, that brought me physical pain in order that I might win some of these people. And he continues and he says, but then there are these outside the law and these were just Gentiles. So this was not, this was anyone who was not ethnically Jewish or religiously Jewish. And he says, well, to them, I became like one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And so what he means is. These, these folks kind of had some sketchy practices that I don't really think went along with Christian life. So I really didn't do that. But in every way that I could, I made myself like them. I, I closed the social gap as much as possible. I didn't put distance between myself and them. I didn't try to make myself superior to them in any way. As much as I could, I went to them and said, hey, we're not that different. We're not that different. We're not that different. And, and the way that he did this is that when he was with them, Rather than saying, just so y'all know, like, I was a big deal back in my hometown. Everybody thought I was pretty awesome. I have a great education. Um, I come from a really good family. Actually, one of God's chosen people. He left all that behind. 
And he chose to know one thing, which was the grace of Jesus towards him. So he looked at them and he said, hey, we're actually in the same boat. Like all this stuff that used to be really important to me, I kind of package it all up and I count it as garbage. I count it as trash compared to knowing the grace of Jesus. So he said, hey, y'all who feel like you're far from the God that I'm talking about, you who feel like you're not good enough, you're worthy, you should be left out, whatever it is, I'm actually just like you. None of this stuff commends me to God. The only thing that I have is Jesus, and you have that too. So he he relies completely on grace. He doesn't rely on his family name, on religious traditions, on anything like that. He basically says, we are totally in the same boat, and all we have is the grace shown to us in Jesus. So in that way, he became like someone outside of the law. And finally, he ends and he says, to the weak, I became weak. And there's an important thing that we need to pay attention to there. See, before he said, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one. Meaning that I looked like it, but I wasn't completely that. Here, he says, to the weak, I actually, really, in the core of who I am, was weak. See, what Paul realized, and we we get a picture of it in Romans 5, 6. He said, all of us were at one time weak. And what he means is that all of us were at one time unable to pursue Jesus. All of us at one time were under the penalty and curse of sin. All of us were counted on the outside. And he says in that moment, we only were marked by weakness. But Jesus was strong for us. He says, so whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you've gone to temple and you've believed in the God of the Old Testament your entire life, or whether you've sacrificed at temples to hundreds of gods your entire life, I'm the same as you. I am more like you than I am like the person who thinks they're only perfect and always right and get it every single time. I am much more like the person who has to completely depend on the grace of God. Because we're unweak. Like we all are. See, Paul saw that the story of the Bible was not God looking for people who could be good enough for long enough in their own strength. It was for people who recognized their weakness and would trust God's saving work in the mission of Jesus. And he said, that's my story. Absolutely, that's my story. Absolutely, that's the story that I identify with more than anything else because, guys, I'm weak. I I celebrate. I do not hide that because in that I have more of an ability to acknowledge Jesus and his word. So whoever he met, I'm like, he was like, I'm just like you. He limited the distance as much as he could in the things that mattered the most. So he had these three groups of people, right? He had the the Jews or people under the law, people outside the law, and and then he's and the people he considers weak. So what does this actually mean for us? Like what? This is the so what test. Like, so what? What does this matter? Um, I I think this shows us some things that if we are going to say, like, hey, I'm I'm on team Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I trust him. I think it shows us things that we have to do and we have to become. I think it shows us questions we have to ask. I think it shows us a style of life we have to adopt. Um, So the first thing I think this this tells us is we, we have to ask what shapes our life. We have to ask what is the driving, guiding principle of our life. 
See, Paul says, I, I do everything all the time so that others might come close to Jesus. Everything I do, wherever I go, the job I have, the places I live, the way I talk, the, everything, everything about me, I have decided that this has to get people closer to Jesus. This is what guides my life. I've been so impacted by who he is and what he's done for me that, that I, it is part of my identity now to bring people close to him. And there's not a part of my life that doesn't serve that. That's what shaped Paul's life. So we have to ask what shapes our life. Is it this impact of the story of Jesus that causes us to become all things to all people so that some might be one to his kingdom? Or is it something else? So like, we can ask ourselves a question. What, what do we love most? What do we think about most? What is the thing that if we lost it, we would worry that our lives would be over? What's the thing that if we got it, we would think, oh, this is all I've ever wanted. My life is complete. There are tons of things that shape our lives. Some of them good things. There are things that, that, change, that absolutely change the way we see ourselves and see others. It changes where we put our kids in school. It changes how we approach work. It changes what we drive, how we dress, how we eat, how we talk, who we hang out with, how we hang out with those people when we hang out with them. And it's all based on this one thing. What has captured your heart? What shapes your life? Is it what Paul is showing here? Or is it success at work? If I do good enough for long enough and make enough money, I'll have respect and power uh, I'll provide for my family. I'll have all this. I'll have all this stuff. Is it the success of your kids? If they look good enough, act good enough, make good enough grades, don't make mistakes, I'm good. Is it the approval of other people? I'll say what I have to say, do what I have to do, dress how I have to dress, drive what I have to drive, work the hours I need to work, so that these people that I've decided are worthy of, of whatever respect me. There's lots of stuff that can guide our lives. And Paul says our best bet, what he calls us to do, is surrender everything we have because the thing that shapes our life is Jesus who surrendered everything he had. I think we need to live with a sense of urgency. So there's, there's no way to dress this up. There's like no way to make this palatable. There's no way to make this easy to hear. Paul says that we need to be saved. And you don't need to be saved unless you're in danger. Like, there was never a point when, you know, I was 14 years old and I was in the shallow end of the pool, like, completely finding someone's like, oh, save him. Like, I was fine. Like, I was cool. Even if I had a noodle, I was fine. But, you know, if I'm thrashing around in Lake Alatoona, unable, like, I might need to be saved at that point, right? Because I'm in danger. Um, what Paul says is there's a real danger. Without the relationship with God that this gospel provides, we live a life of increasing distance from God and his kingdom. Now, this isn't just some, like, distance from philosophy or teaching. This is, different. this is distance from the one who created us and holds the universe together. This is distance from the one who has made us to live a certain kind of life. And any distance from him means not a smaller life. It means no life. And that is only increasing. And it, when it reaches the terminal point of our death, it is final. It is serious. It is irreversible. So what Paul says is, I will not waste my life. I will give every second I have 
so that everyone I come in contact with can experience the goodness of Jesus. More than that, though, I think this is what he says, because he's not just, I'm winning them sometime in the future. He's saying that there's a life we can live now on earth that is not life at all. A life where we live kind of like mundane, gray, small, anxious, joyless lives that are dictated by whatever is most urgent, not what is most important. And he says to live life now without God's power, light, and life surging through you. Well, that might not be hell in eternity. It's hell on earth now. And he says, I've come to give you. I've come with this story that brings actual, real life, that breathes the power and, of God into you, that gives you purpose and meaning and fulfillment. It allows you to live a rich, satisfying life at its highest level if we, if we respond to this gospel and put our trust in Jesus. And he says, I have to do it. I can't not do it. I have to live urgently. I think from this we, we see we need to leave and live intentionally too. Like it doesn't seem like much about this is accidental for Paul. Like it seems like he's pretty aware of what's going on. Like he, he, I don't think he just knows about some Jews or some Gentiles or some weak people. I think he's thinking about specific groups of people. I think he's about thinking about people he grew up with, people he knows, people that he has lived life with. And he says, I am, I am doing everything I can. I'm thinking about my life. I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about my job. I'm thinking about where I go, how I talk, whether or not I get married, whether or not I have kids. All of this is framed in, in, in this life where he says, I will absolutely not waste a moment of it. So I think we're called to live intentionally. Like, we need to look at our jobs as a place that God has put us, that has significance and value. Like, it, like this whole thing, the church thing, is not more important than anything anyone else does. I had this discussion with some students the other day. I said, what, is more, what, what do you think God thinks is more important, the way you play sports or the way you pray? And there was sort of the mixed thing. My opinion is, is they're the same. My opinion is that we... We're created to honor God in everything we do. So that means whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a real estate agent or a teacher or an accountant or managing a construction firm, God has plans for you in all of that. God has stuff for you to do that will bless people around you and bring the gospel to people around you. So don't waste your work. Like, don't. I had a conversation with my dad earlier this week. I'm going to probably embarrass him a little bit, but it's okay. Um, got a mic. You can't stop me now. Um, and he was just telling me about stuff going on in his business and like stuff that I would not have known how to deal with. So he does residential drywall uh, all around this area. And for those of you who don't know, 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008, not a great time for the housing market. Um, I think that's putting it a little mildly. And so he was talking about like people just not paying him for stuff, which is crazy to me. Like, I did this thing, and you're just not going to pay me? That's, how does that even work? And he just said, like, I just believe that if I, if I honored God and did what I was supposed to do and didn't take advantage of other people, that not only would it work out for me, but it, it might say something to somebody else. That is profound. Like, it's so much easier to talk about the Bible than to live the life of Christ in your job. But we're called to do that. 
Don't waste your work. Don't waste your family. Don't waste your friends. Don't waste the people you see at the restaurant you go to every Tuesday night. Like we have to approach it and say, where is God calling me? Where has he put me? Where has he placed me? Because that's the place where I'm called to reach everyone by any means necessary. I think this causes us to focus on the essentials. It's like Paul is talking about stuff and he's like, you know, the, the Jewish people had this stuff going on. The Gentiles had this people going on. These weak people had this going on. And all I really cared about is that they love and know Jesus. That's the main thing for me. And this, this actually, not actually, this, but this idea behind it has shaped my view of youth ministry more than anything I can think of. Um, because a lot of people think that if a kid is, uh, makes good grades, does well in their club, plays sports well, doesn't get in trouble, doesn't have any outward signs of misbehavior, then they have to be a Christian, right? They have to be good enough. But if those things aren't in place, then it's trouble, and we need to fix that. Um, and... and that's why I don't really care in the beginning what kids are like or what they do. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care what your life at school is like. I don't care what movies you watch or what music you listen to or how you talk when you're with your friends or what you drink on Friday night or Saturday night. Right? I don't care. What I care about is loving Jesus. Because I think we can change behavior and stay very far from Jesus. But we can't love Jesus and have unchanged behavior. The essential thing is that we live in such a way that promotes love, service, and devotion to Jesus. And that's what's essential. Paul says, all this other stuff, I would do anything. I think Paul would freak us out in what he was willing to do to, to, to show the love of Jesus to people. Like, I think he would really make us like, are you sure that's okay? Like, he would just do it because he's like, look. I'm, I am bound to Christ. I am under his law. And the thing that matters most to me is that everyone who can would believe in Jesus. So I think he calls us to focus on the essentials. I think he says we need to value relationships. Um, if you didn't know, like what vintage is built on is the idea that we're made for meaningful relationships. We're made for meaningful relationships with God and with other people. We're made for meaningful relationships with our neighbor. That's kind of what we do. Um, and, and here's the deal. It is, it is not easy, but it is definitely better. Um, one of my favorite things that I've ever heard is, uh, you can go fast alone, but you go far together. And that's what we want to do. We believe that you might, we might be able to do some stuff on our own, but we do the best stuff together. And it can be scary and it can be messy and it can be hard. Like Paul, we see Paul with these uh, Jewish people, people under the law. He had to sacrifice and suffer to maintain those relationships. Like here's the deal. We're going to take some lashes if we want to do this. Like you're going to be with people that continually disappoint you. You're going to be with people who you think are getting it right. And it, on, on, on Sunday they're getting it right. And on Monday it blows up and you wonder if you're the biggest failure in the world. It's just the way it works. Like we're going to take lashes. Like, we're going to have to give up time. We're going to have to give up money. We're going to have to give up what Paul said. He says, I gave up all my stuff so I could serve people. I made myself a servant of all. We, we kind of got to do that. But I'm telling you, it's better. Want to know why it's better? Because last night, I got to marry two people who are my best friends. And it was amazing. Want to know why it's better? Because I get to see students at this church actually go through life 
not perfect, not glossy, not I'm this perfect Christian kid, but actually go through it. I get to see Jesus do amazing things because I know him. I'm willing to take the mess. We get to see, we get to see Jesus like do profound things. Um, I hope this is okay. So the other day I was sitting right here and I was watching um, Kathleen and Ellie worship. I think it was Good Good Father or something like that. And I was undone. Because I, I know them. And I know that life has been far from easy for a long time. And in that moment I saw, I actually saw Jesus doing something. Because you can't do that on your own. So we're called to sacrifice. We're called to bear this burden of relationship. We're called to go to our neighbor who needs more than we can offer. We're called to take in foster kids who cost more than we have. We're called to be there for our community in a way that is demanding. But we're called to be fully there. And in these relationships, we need to have a lot of grace. Like that's what Paul says. These people didn't know anything. They didn't get it right a lot. But he says, I was governed by the grace of Jesus. I didn't care what you looked like. I didn't care how right you got it. What mattered was that you were progressing. He says that in, in these relationships, we need to remove every obstacle we can. So, like, this can be difficult because we might not even know it. But we may have a relationship with our neighbor or coworker or whatever, and they're interested in the Jesus thing. They're like, I think there's something there for my life. But unknowingly, we're telling them, you have to look like this, act like this, talk like this, vote like this, listen to music like this, watch movies like this, do all this stuff that really isn't essential to following Jesus. So we have to be very careful to say, what is essential and how do I live so that everything in my life is this on-ramp to relationship with Jesus? Because, guys, it's difficult enough. It's difficult enough to give to leave everything and follow him. Ask the Bagwells. It's difficult enough just to follow him. We don't need to make it any harder for people on our own. In this, we need to deeply identify with the people around us. We need to push as close as possible to make ourselves part of our neighbor's life, our co-worker's life, our teammate's life, the kid who sits across from us in third period, wherever it is. We need to say, I'm not willing to allow myself to be distant. I want to know what you're like. I want to know what you're afraid of. I want to know what makes you anxious. I want to know what makes you scared. I want to know what makes you excited. I want to know what makes you joyful. I want to know who you are so I can share your life with you. Because I'm not content being the perfect person over here who's so superior and so set apart. Because that's not what Jesus was. We see that Jesus was superior and he was set apart. And he gave it all away so that he could redeem all of us. He said, I'm not okay with them being far away. And what has to happen is that I have to give up a lot and I have to become just like them so they'll know and they'll see. My feet will go on the ground. I'll breathe the air. I'll eat the food. I'll drink the water. But it's fine. It's okay. Because I, I, I want them. I'm not trying to manipulate them. I'm not trying to beat them over the head. I'm not trying to tell them that I'm right and you're right. That's not it. I just want them to be with me and they need to know that I care enough to be with them. I was listening to a guy one time, and he said, I got in this argument with my wife, um, and it started in this really easy way. She presented a problem, and I gave her a solution, which sometimes in marriage, a solution is not what is asked for. Just letting you know. And the guy's like, my wife starts like getting very angry at me that I solved her problem. And, I, and so we got this argument, and eventually I, I said, Why, what is going on? 
And she said, don't you know you don't always have to be right? I just want you to be here. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's really it, right? Like, a lot of times we know the stuff to do. We know the problem we're in. We just need somebody to be there with us long enough to help us get out. Like, have you ever been in that emotional place, like something that's just difficult or hard or overwhelming, and somebody steps in for just enough and shares it with you that you can kind of get out from under it? Like, you can kind of get out from under it? Like, you're so weighed down with foster kids, and somebody comes and does respite care, or somebody comes and just brings a meal, or somebody just prays for you. You're sick in the hospital. People come visit you. You come home from India and people give you a gift card to Target. You come to youth on Sunday night and somebody prays for you. Like it's just a little bit, but it's this identification. And see, we just need to own this. Like this needs to be who we are. We need to not say maybe, maybe, maybe. We need to say yes, this is who I am. Because at the end of um, verse 22, Paul says, I have become all things. He doesn't say I was like. He says I have become. He says this is who I am now. This is what I'm like. This is what my life is. There's no changing. This is my fundamental identity now, this sort of life, becoming all things, giving up what I have to give up so that everyone around me through my life can experience Jesus. And I feel like, I feel like it, and it's not, it's not hard. I mean, I mean, excuse me, it is not easy. But it's way better just to say this is what I'm like. This is who I am. I believe that this is who Jesus has called me to be. This is who he was, so he'll, he'll give me the power. And we just say, I'm not going to waffle. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say, all right, um, I am this person on Thanksgiving when I give meals and for the month when I serve in the village and when I'm on the ministry team for a week. Like, that's not it. It's just our life. Because so much more is needed out there than it is in here. Like, your neighbors need you. The, the moms and dads who are with you when you're dropping off your kids, it's they need you. Like the guy or girl sitting a couple chairs down from you at work, they need this stuff too. Because, because like, it, I think what, I don't know, this is, this is not really written down, but so I feel like one of the things that makes this difficult is we really want to seem like we have it together, right? Like that's kind of what we do, right? Like we want to say like, I don't, might not have it all together, but I'm not completely falling apart. So we kind of do what we have to do to make it seem as good as, it, as we need it to be, right? And I heard, I read earlier this week that, that friendship is when you look at someone else and say, oh, you too, I thought I was the only one. That's profound. And so we need, to, we need to be that. We need to be willing to say, like, here's me, here's who I am. I am this for you all the time. It doesn't turn off when I go to work. It doesn't turn off when I'm at soccer practice. It doesn't turn off when I'm taking my kids out for minchies. It doesn't turn off ever. I'm always on. I'm always sympathetically thinking of the people around me. And I'll become anything to anybody. I'll go wherever I need to go. I'll be whoever I need to be. I'll, I'll do what I have to do. But none of this works if we don't find, find our passion. None of this works if we're not deeply moved on the inside. See, passion is a misunderstood word now. Because we think passion is strong desire, thing you love the most. What passion actually means is it comes from this word pati, P-A-T-I, and it means, pati means to suffer. So passion means the thing you're willing to suffer for. You love it so much, you're so committed to it, you'll undergo hardship for it. 
And Paul says, I've given up so much. I've literally had flesh taken off my body. I've I've lived a life that's given to other people. I've had all of these difficult things happen. And the reason why, the reason I'm willing to suffer is so that for the sake of the gospel, because I've seen what Jesus did for me, when I couldn't fulfill the law, he suffered the punishment of the law for me. When I lived a lawless life, he paid the price for my sin and trespass. He became weak so that I could be strong. He became everything for me so that I could become everything that he is. The one who is the most valuable, the the treasure of the universe, the one who has everything, holds everything, has all power, all knowledge, all this. He gave up everything so that this story could become my story. And Paul says because of that, I will absolutely give every moment of my life for this. And we, that's what we need. We need our hearts to be melted and moved by what Jesus has done for us. Like if, if, if we don't have passion for this, it's because we don't see Jesus' passion for us. If we don't, if we don't experience this kind of compelling love, it's because we don't see how compelled Jesus is by love towards us. And we need to see it because he calls us to live this way. He calls us to imitate him by becoming all things for all people. So we're going to have a time now where we can actually respond to this. So Kennedy, come up, and Kennedy's going to lead ministry time. Uh, ministry team, John, go ahead and come up too. Uh, go ahead and come up right now. So we have a few ways that you can respond. Um, first, if you've come to give tithes and tither offerings, baskets are right here, metal box in the back between the doors. Just drop it off during this time. Um, If you want to take communion and remember what Jesus has done for us right there, Um, if something resonated with you in this or if you're just like, hey, I've got this completely other thing going on and I would love for somebody to pray for me. That's what ministry teams are for. Like, I feel like sometimes I just we just assume that we know what these folks up here are for. Um, But all these these folks are not super special. I mean, they're great, but they're not like super special. Um, All they are, they say, hey, I just want to I want to be there for somebody. They need prayer. I want to be there for them. And that's what it is. So if you need prayer for anything, come get prayer. If you need to just get alone and do your thing, do that. Um, The only thing that I'm asking is that whatever way you feel like you need to respond, respond. So if you feel like, man, I've not been living intentionally. Man, I don't know what shapes my life. Man, like I I am, I really do. I realize like I kind of think these people who do, do this, I'm just better. than Like whatever it is. Like, respond. Take the step to to live this life that that Paul calls us to live. And in so doing, live the life of Christ so that others can experience the gospel through you. Just do what it takes. Do take one, one little step. Because this step might mean encountering the gospel for somebody else. And that's awesome. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to respond. Um, and then I'll come out and I'll come back in a second and pray and we'll close out. Cool. All right. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We're thankful that you have done everything for us so that we can become everything for other people. We pray that you would help us take the next step into the life that you've called us to live, living on mission with you in every part of our life. We love you. We need you. Amen.